0: Our passage before us is from the book of James, which we've been studying this year. It's short. It's interesting how sometimes these passages are long, 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 but today I don't think I've ever seen one any shorter than this. It's a, a single verse from James, but it is a mouthful. Hear now, James. Above all, my brothers, do not swear... Either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. one word again, hom nuo." "Home nuo." It means to swear or to pronounce an oath. That's the subject of this homily that James has given us. And what it means, it means to make an oath, to swear by some authority and behind it is a heart that must be seeking simplicity, not duplicity, honesty, integrity. That's what letting your yes be yes and your no be no means. And it's a serious matter. We don't think of it often, but we do it a lot. In commerce every day, we make a pledge to pay something. We make a pledge to our church. We make a pledge to various organizations with donations. We deal constantly in business deals and bargains and purchases and arrangements. And commitments. This all falls under this particular venue of speech. In the world of society, we make vows, marriage vows. In professions, we make commitments to our profession with loyalty oaths and with ethical oaths. And in this church, we make vows every few Sundays when we baptize our children we make vows to take care of. We make our officers make vows. Our pastors have ordination vows that we make, saying we commit ourselves to doing something, into being something, into a specific performance. In the courts of law, when we testify, or when we are function as a juror, Or when we are under deposition, we take oaths. We swear that we will tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We swear that we will uphold a documentation like the Constitution or a particular covenant or contract in public office. We look forward every four years to seeing somebody stand up there, put their hand on the Bible and say that they will faithfully uphold the Constitution. It's part of our common life. We even make personal vows. We commit to one another in a very personal way. And we even make vows from time to time that are a little bit questionable. (laughs) We get in a circumstance. We get in a particular situation... And it's pretty difficult and it's tight and it's, it, it is uh, um, prickly. And we'll vow to the Lord or to someone that if you'll get me out of this, if you'll get me through this, then I will do, I'll never miss church at eight o'clock on Sunday morning or some similar vow like that. I'll, I will do this, I will do that. Ecclesiastes tells us, the preacher tells us in his wisdom said, pay your vows even if it is to your hurt. In other words, even if it costs you to keep a vow, pay your vows. And we take vows and swear oaths when we go into military service to defend the Constitution, to defend the country. You see, James has dealt, and will even deal with, once more in this book with all kinds of speech because it's out of the issues of the heart that man speaketh and therefore it's in our hearts is where the real issue is of course but it's what we say highly important and he's dealt and the scriptures deal with sins of speech lying slander grumbling boasting bearing false witness, cursing, taking the name of the Lord in vain. It can be a frivolous use of the name of God, or it can be just uh, something that is, is sincere as it can be, but it is swearing unnecessarily using the name of the Lord. And we even do it euphemistically. Have you ever noticed? Sometimes instead of using the word God, we simply shorten it, put a formative on it, and say, gosh, or golly. Sometimes we even, in order to not say the name of God, we will say an attribute of God. Oh, my goodness. In the case of using the name of Christ, the Son of God, We'll hear ourselves and we'll hear others saying, instead of Jesus, they'll say, gee. Sadly, in our day and time, very few people are even polite enough to use those euphemisms. They will go ahead and use the name of the Lord in vain. And if any of you have been out, and I know all of you have in life, I've worked for the Texas Highway Department and I've worked on the Union docks in my younger years and I heard nothing but constant swearing. I worked a landscape Uh, I worked for a company that did landscaping, drove a tractor and did some things for them back when I was in seminary trying to get through school. And there were several guys on that particular crew that I think they knew three words. It's all they knew. They had a word or two for God and a word or two for some other things. And they used it in every form. They used it as a noun. They used it as a, a verb, as an adjective, as an adverb everything, every part of speech they could communicate using those three or four words. And you knew what they were talking about. But they never, they never, sometimes the weakest characters and the weakest personalities use speech to try to put some starch in their speech and give it some punch. And that's what we so often do with swearing. We Take the name of the Lord in vain. And then this passage here, he starts off, he says, above all, my brothers. Now, most commentators believe that this is just kind of a concluding formula. He's coming to the last few subjects of his epistle. It doesn't mean above all, everything he said before, because my goodness, he's spoken of faith. He's spoken of the law of love. He's talking of faith in works. He's spoken of repentance. He's talked about magnificent things, and I don't think he means that above all of that is this teaching on swearing. It's certainly very important and equal to, but it's just kind of a way of beginning to wrap it up. It's a way to highlight this particular prohibition. Swearing is the invocation of the name of God to guarantee a reliability of what is being said. Listen to what Jesus taught when he was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees about swearing. Woe. This is part of the woes that Jesus had to the Pharisees there at the end of his public ministry. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by that oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Basically what he's saying is all swearing is koram deo. All swearing is before the face of God. God sees all and hears all. And in his omniscience, when you use his name and swear upon him, you are doing it before his very presence swearing is one of those attributes of humanity that is derived from an attribute of god god is a swearing god god is an oath taking god several times in the scriptures in the old testament especially and hebrews kind of summarizes them for us it says that god made an oath that those people that disobeyed, that did not have faith in following him in the wilderness with Moses, he swore that they would not enter into rest. Unbelievers will not enjoy the bliss of eternal life and the eternal state. God sworn that. Sounds like a pretty serious proposition. The same book goes on to tell us that God made an oath To Abraham. He swore to Abraham to keep a covenant. And that covenant is the saving, the redeeming covenant, the covenant of redemption. And it says, because he could find no one higher than himself by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God is a swearing God, an oath making God. And there's no higher authority than himself, so he swore by himself. As I live, saith the Lord. And then there's another tender oath in the book of Hebrews. God swore an oath that Jesus would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God swore it with an oath. And actually, if you trace it back to the Old Testament, this was a coronation oath. This was an oath that was made by the king to be a godly king over his people. And it was, a coron, it was a coronation oath. And this is what God has sworn to us. He's committed to us Christ as a priest. What does a priest do? A priest makes sacrifice, and Christ is that sacrifice for our sins, that atoning sacrifice saving sacrifice. What does a priest do? A priest intercedes and pleads for his people. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is a priest forever. He lives forever to make intercession for us. So we have our salvation by an oath that Christ, that God made himself. And this quotation I think you recognize very quickly is a direct quotation from the teachings of Jesus. We've pointed out on several occasions in James that James, the brother of Jesus uh, just must have sat at the feet of Christ in many, many ways, especially with the other apostles following the resurrected Lord and just absorbed so much of the teaching of Christ. And this is part of the sermon on the Mount when Jesus spoke of oaths and listen, to the teaching of Christ. Again, you have heard that it was said of those, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And listen to this statement. Anything more than this comes from evil. I think what Christ is trying to say and James is emphasizing is that our speech should be of such integrity and of such honesty and of such simplicity and sincerity that you don't need to have a formalized oath at all. Your yes is yes, your no is no. Your word is so dependable because in the image of Christ you need only to say yes when you mean yes and no when you mean no. Your mere mere word has the force of strength, stability, integrity, truthfulness, godly speech, Christ-like speech. So many of our sins, and especially for those of us that are a little more verbal than others, so much of our sin life is tied up in our speech. I don't know how many times in my life I've had to retrace, retract, apologize for something that I've said. I don't know how many times I should have done that and I just failed to do it. Because we speak quickly and we speak impulsively. We speak out of all of that which is corrupt within our souls we speak out of our anger we speak out of our bitterness our jealousies and envy and we speak out of our our inferiorities and we speak out of that which we think is detestable Isaiah One of the great confessions anywhere in the Bible is Isaiah standing in the presence of the Lord, feeling the awesome power of God's presence there in the throne room, not even able to look. Just all he could see was the floor because he was prostrate before the Lord. He said, I am, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. That's one of the biggest frustrations to me. I don't know about you, but I live in the midst. I'm a man of unclean lips. But I dwell in the midst of a people. If I watch too many shows where I hear them use one vulgarity and one profanity after another, I find myself thinking in those terms. All of a sudden, through my mind and hopefully not over my lips, but through my heart and mind will come one of the filthy oaths and swearing and vulgarity and profanity. If profanity is reaching up to try to find that which is sacred to add force to our speech, vulgarity is reaching down. That is going into human bodily functions of elimination and sexual activity and trying to to take that which is taboo and bring it out to give stark force to our speech. And you cannot watch too many movies these days without hearing a handful of words over and over and over and over, whether it's necessary to the plot or not. And you'll see people tonight receiving awards for that kind of speech. For for us as Christians, that ought not be. This should not be named among us, brothers and sisters. And one of the things we have to watch is how Willingly are we to dwell in the midst of an unclean people? Do we not separate ourselves and see that there's a necessity for some measure of holiness in our life and not expose ourselves or our children to this incessant sewer pipe of language? But we should have unadorned speech unvarnished clear clean concise Yea and nay and so much of life is based upon affirmations he's already argued for no duplicity he talked about the double-minded man in this passage twice already well that's the person that can't really give you a yes or a no because they're duplicitous and they're they have, they're ambivalent and 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 perhaps completely disingenuous he calls upon us to be devoted to the truth. You see that in formal documentation, especially in the world of religion and politics. Every time you turn around, there is a manifesto being written. There's a confession being set forth. There may be a position statement, laws and policies that are being delineated. And often... If to be real clear, you will hear them say, We deny thus and so and something else. And we affirm this and that and the other. And that's an attempt to try to understand clearly a yes and a no, an affirmation and a negation, a denial. How serious is this matter? look at one more scripture and we're through still in the book of Matthew we go here to Matthew chapter 12 and this is the teaching of Jesus still I tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak that's that's It's bad enough we're going to be judged for our actions, our deeds. But the Bible says that every idle word, every careless word will be part of the evidence that is assimilated at the judgment. The great assize where the infinite judge of all the earth will do right. Jesus says, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. That's pretty clear, isn't it? What word condemns us? The sinful word, the bitter word, the doubtful word, the word of rebuke. And most of all, the word of denial that Jesus is truly the Son of God. What word will justify us? That word that says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That's the word. That's the good word. That's the saving word. It's the confession, believing in the heart, and confessing with your mouth. If you will confess, affirm, believe, say yes to Christ. That's the justifying word. Oh, if you haven't as of yet, speak that word in your heart and directly to God this very morning. Affirm Him. Deny all that is against Him. Let your yes be yes and your no be no.